0: Good morning. I'm Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here at CIV and I'm glad you can be with us for the start of our Stacking Good Days message series. Now before we get into the new message series, I wanted to just give you a little update and let you know of a couple things that we have coming up here at CIV. As you all know, there is a ton of things happening in America right now. Just a lot going on and we as a church see a need for two specific areas that we want to address in the coming months. One of those areas is God and government. Based on what happened during the coronavirus crisis and the government's response, we want to take a look at the Bible as as a church, look at our rights, look at what it means to follow authority, and then look specifically at our role as citizens of the United States. We will be doing a God and Government message series in July that will address these things. And then the second area that we want to look at as a church is just the role and the purpose of the church in our personal lives, and then just the role of the church in the world as well. This will be on a variety of of topics related to church, Um, but one of the things that we're going to look at is the people of the church. You know, the George Floyd murder was just incredibly sad. It's atrocious, it's appalling even, and he should not have died in that unjust manner. But there's a day, one day, where there's going to be a great multitude of people from every nation, tribe, people group, and language in heaven, worshiping God all together. What a glorious day that is going to be. But until then, we have a purpose on earth to continue to yield our lives to Christ, becoming more like him, loving everyone around us without prejudice and helping them to come to know Christ as well. And so I want to let you know that your pastors, as your pastor and the other pastors on staff, we feel a tremendous responsibility, a tremendous burden to help lead and guide CIV to the truth in these complex issues. And so we don't want to speak on an issue in a way that ultimately is going to do a disservice to you all. We live in a time with hasty responses and putting statements out on social media and meme Christianity where we throw a verse out there and it sounds like it might be true to the situation that we're looking at, but it's actually been taken out of context and it can lead people to wrong conclusions and to staking their life on on wrong things. And so if you want to talk about what is going on, we would love to talk to you, have a dialogue with you about it. And so please let us know in the connection card, and we'd love to call you and talk to you about what is going on. But please know that we are working hard on developing comprehensive biblical teaching on these areas so that we don't lead people down to the, the wrong conclusions. And so as, you know, in light of everything that's going on in America, one of the things that I've thought about this week is Martin Luther King Jr. And there are huge moments in his life that we've learned in history books, and and these will be taught for generations to come of the things that he did in the civil rights movement. Take a look at this timeline of the highlights of his his life he was born in 1929 he graduated college and became an ordained minister in 1948 so at 17 age 17 he graduated college 7 years later in 1955 he became a leader of he became one of the leaders of the Montgomery bus boycott 8 years later in 1963 he helped lead the march on washington and gave his i have a dream speech And the timeline goes on and on and on, but what I want to point out to you is not the big days, not the big highlights that we all learned about in the history books, but what about the seven years from the time he graduated college and became a minister to when he became a leader in that Montgomery bus boycott? Those seven years, that's over 2,500 days. And what about the eight years leading up to the I Have a Dream speech? That is over 2,800 days right there. We tend to think of the good days in our life as these big days, these big events, graduation, getting married. Maybe a big day in the year would be going to Disneyland. But in reality, it takes a lot of routine, mundane days to lead up to these big days. A lot of work days a lot of changing diapers, cooking dinner, mowing the lawn, a lot of days just spent parenting. We look at someone like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and we think, man, I wish I had the courage to stand up for what I believe in like he did. We look at men and women around us and we think, man, I wish I had a the relationship with my kids like that, that person does. Or I wish I knew God like they do. Or I wish I had a career that was taking off like their career is. Or I wish I had character like that person. But the good things that we're seeing in someone's life is the result of hundreds if not thousands of days where they chose to do the right thing in seemingly mundane, routine ways. The Stacking Good Days message series is about applying the Bible to our mundane, ordinary, everyday, routine life and looking at how we can invest in the right things each day that turn into the good life that we all want. And the Bible gives us the perspective to do this. The Bible tells us to make every day count. Psalm ninety twelve says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here we're encouraged to number our days aright. That means we need to look at our days with the right perspective, have an accurate understanding of what The days of our life are really about. And that perspective that we need is that every day counts for something. Every day is an opportunity to be faithful with our responsibilities or it's an opportunity where we're not. We're unfaithful with our responsibilities. But life just keeps going. It just keeps happening day after day, month after month, year after year. And it's easy to just keep Going and not stop and think about what's the big picture that I'm trying to aim my life towards. Something that I've been encouraged to do, and we've done it at CIV before as well, is to count the days until I turn 70 years old. We don't know how many days God's going to give us. Um, Lord willing, we we make it to 70. Maybe you're at 70 or past 70. You might want to choose 80 for the number of days that you want to count. But when we do that, it really helps us to see the value of each day. So how many days would that be for you? For me, the days till I'm 70 is 12,905 days. I'm almost halfway there um, on uh, getting to 70. Now, doing that, it really helps because I have this app and it counts down each day. Another day is gone and in my days till 78. And that helps us to really realize whether we have a good day or a bad day, the number keeps going down for the time that we have to invest in our life here on earth. So here's a couple other numbers for you. We've had 159 days in 2020 so far. Now, in some ways, it doesn't seem possible. In other ways, it feels like 15,900 days in 2020. But what are you going to do with the 207 days that you have left in 2020? Or what are you going to do with the days that you have left until you turn 70? Or a better question really is what should we do? What should we invest in each day? And the Bible gives us great perspective on this as well. The Bible shows us how to have a good day in Psalm 34, 11 through 14, which is really the theme verse for this whole message series. This psalm was written by a man named David. Now, David eventually becomes king of of Israel, but in this psalm, he hasn't become king yet. And he hasn't become king yet, but Saul, who is the current king, knows David is next in line for the throne. And he doesn't like that. He doesn't like that David's next in line. Because one of the things that has happened is that David has become popular with the people of Israel. They're singing songs like, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So David is getting more glory than Saul, and so Saul is pursuing David. He wants to take him out before David takes over the throne as the king. And so in Psalm 34, what happens here is right before David writes this psalm, he has just escaped a very hairy situation where Saul was pursuing him, and it he, he didn't look like he was going to make it out. So he starts Psalm 34 with thanksgiving. He's, he's really, you know, you can imagine a big sigh of relief that he made it through. And then he gets into some instruction. And Take a look at what, it, what he says here. Psalm 34, 11 through 14 says, "'Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord.'" Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So we see here that whoever desires to see many good days, so if we want to stack good days, we need to hold our tongue, we need to do good, we need to pursue peace. And we're going to talk about those three things in the three weeks to come specifically. But what we're going to focus on today is this big picture for our life that we see in verse 11, where he says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, this is really interesting right here, because David is saying, Come, my children, listen to me. It's interesting because... David's son actually comes to this same conclusion in his life, but he didn't get it from his dad. He didn't get the conclusion to fear God from David. He goes through a lot of heartache to get to that conclusion. But I want to give you a little background on David's son to give a little color to what, what's going on here. David's son Solomon, who is next in line um, and becomes king after him, shortly after he became king... God appeared to him in a dream. And in the dream, God says, Solomon, ask, and it will be given to you. And if somebody asked me that, I'd be thinking, you know, riches, lots of things that would go through my mind. But what Solomon says is, give me wisdom to govern the people. And God gives him this amazing wisdom to govern the people. And with that, actually, what happens is he gets all these rich, unfathomable riches and of what, what he gets. But people are astounded by Solomon's wisdom. He, right after this dream happens and God gives him the, the wisdom, he, he becomes the wisest man in the world. He's presented a situation where we can really see this wisdom that he had. Two prostitutes came to see Solomon. And they had one child, and they both were saying, this is my child. They're both going back and forth saying, it's my child, my child. And Solomon is supposed to rule on what should happen with this child. And he tells his servant, go get me a sword. And the servant brings a sword, and he says, go take the sword and cut the child in two. So that half goes to this woman, half goes to this one, since there's this dispute over whose child it is. And what happens is, one of the women says, stop, stop, stop. She can have the child. There's no reason that this child should be harmed. And the the woman who, the other woman just says, you know, it, that's okay. Divide it in two. You know, it's neither my or her child because we're both disputing over this. And Solomon, because of that response, knows the one who was willing to save the child, even to give it to the woman whose child it was not, that's whose child it is. Amazing wisdom. I I would not have any idea how to approach that situation, but God gave him the wisdom to govern the people. And with this incredible wisdom came riches and came, you know, fame and notoriety. But Solomon didn't always fear God and live life God's way. He was said to be a lover of many women. He had over 700 wives and he had just this incredible financial and intellectual power that allowed him to pursue life to its fullest. And so he pursued life. And at the end, he writes this this book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, at the end of his life. And he's talking about all these things are meaningless. All these pursuits that he had are meaningless. And he concludes it with Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, And he says, now all has been heard Here is the conclusion of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So the conclusion that Solomon is coming to is that the big picture in life is to fear God and keep his commandments. Now, we're going to spend some time looking at what this means to fear God, because that's not a, a concept that's just immediately clear to to me or or to, to anybody, really. And so to really understand this concept of fear in God, we need to look at fear itself. Fear is defined as an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. So that's the basic definition of fear, and there's a lot of that going on in our country right now. The coronavirus, it's instilled a ton of fear in people. Basically, we, we've been told, stay inside or you might die. Or you might not die, but somebody close to you who's more vulnerable, they might die. You know, my wife is on an immunosuppressant drug. And so her she's in that more vulnerable category of people. And there's been times where the fear has hit. And I just I just don't know what to do. Do we go out? What's the most prudent and wise thing to do here. And a lot of people have been frozen in fear at home. And now there's these riots going on. And I found myself getting concerned about them as well, even though they're not even close to us. The other night we're watching TV or watching the news and one of my sons said, that's scary. And I thought, yeah, it is scary. But as we explained to him that they wasn't close. He, he realized, oh, okay, all right. It's not that scary because they're not close to us. But fear is a strong emotion that elicits a response from us. It can cause us to withdraw and flee from a situation, or it can cause us to stand up for what we believe in and and be strong about something. And so, as we look at fear in the Bible. We see this idea to fear God. And is it this fear to cower back or, or what's going on there? Or we also see in the Bible that we're, we're commanded not to be afraid at times as well. And so I want to look at a, a examples of where we're commanded not to be afraid. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes before you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This brings up for me, it brings up the question of, okay, so we're supposed to fear God, but at the same time we're told not to fear or be afraid or terrified because God is with us. So do these statements contradict themselves or what is going on here? Well, the Old Testament, which is where we find the Psalm verses and the Ecclesiastes and this Deuteronomy passage of Scripture, it was written in Hebrew, and it helps to look at what's the Hebrew word here used for fear in all three of these passages. And the word is yare. It means to be afraid. It means to stand in awe or to fear. That's, kind of, that's the, the meaning around it and behind it. And the word here that is used is a verb. And remember, verbs are action words. So there's this action of fear the state of feeling fear and we are cho- are told to not be afraid or terrified in this deuteronomy verse and so when we're looking at a verb we need to look around it we need to look at the context to see what is going on and so what we see in deuteronomy 31:6 is do not be afraid or terrified because of them now, the them turns out to be very important and helpful in our understanding of fear and when we're not supposed to be fearful and when we do need to fear God. The them is, what's going on in the situation is God is leading his people, the Israelites, out of slavery and Egypt. And he's leading them to the promised land. But the promised land is inhabited by people who aren't just going to hand over their land to the Israelites as they come in. These are people who are veterans of war. So what's happening is these slaves are looking at these people that they're going to their land and they're thinking, okay, that's scary. They know how to fight. We don't. We don't know how to fight. So you can see the context here is really important. So God is saying, don't be afraid of this situation that you see. Don't be afraid of what you see because when we fear something, or someone, we go off what we can see. We go off our sight. But God's saying, don't be afraid. God is going to be with you. I will be with you in these situations and circumstances. And so, God doesn't want us to fear because of a situation that we're in, the situation that we find ourselves in. He wants us to, the fear of the situation, to help turn us towards God. And to trust in him with whatever's going on. So as we look at the context in Deuteronomy 31.6, let's look at the context in Ecclesiastes 12.13 to get this good understanding of what fear of the Lord is. It says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. The context of fearing God is God. So when we look at what it means to fear God, what's happening is we're standing in awe of God. We're looking at him, and there's an element of fear to it, but it's a reverence as well to who God is. So our fear is of God, But God is a creator. He's all powerful. And yes, there's a fear there. He could just wipe us out from face of the earth if he wanted to. But that's not his character. God is love. God is just. And so much more. And so this fear of God, it elicits this response from us. And the response is something like this. Fearing God is taking him seriously. Enough to obey him fearing god is learning god's ways for living through the bible and through seeing people's examples of of, from people who are already following god their action and the faith that they live out it's it's we fear god and we find his ways by prayer and asking him what he wants us to do in situations fear of a situation focuses on what we can see and it leads to us being scared but fear the Lord focuses us on God and who he is and his character, and that leads us to a life of meaning and purpose and goodness. I want to share with you a video clip from the Discovering Faith Forum that we had around Easter time here at, at CIV, and this forum was four people shared their testimony of um, how they came to Christ, how they uh, came into a relationship with With Christ. And then after they shared that testimony, I asked them, What's a difference Christ has made in your life? And Ryan Neaton's answer is a great example of what it means to fear God.
1: Take a look at this. Uh, I I think kind of one of the big ways is in kind of the uh, financial arena, Uh, just handling the the family finances. Um, Not growing up in church, I remember in all the 80s, like the televangelists and that kind of thing, like the stereotypical, even though I wasn't a part of it. But so I think when we came around to church and it was asking for tithe, it was like, all right, here's you know, here's what they want. They want they want our money, and this is what the kind of the catch is. And um, as we kind of got more involved in in you know church in the valley and following Christ and, and following what the Bible says, you kind of understand that's not really what it is at all. It actually is used to fund the church and what they do and everything, you know, ac- accordingly. And it's also how God gets your heart. Um, obviously, we're you know, we have jobs and we're tied to our paychecks and, you know, that's why we work. But um, so it was one of those of like each time kind of asking more questions about what does this mean? What does this mean? What does it mean to give? What does it mean to tie? Because I was, you know, give when there was money in the budget at the end of the month or, you know, oh, we'll go ahead and we'll do 20 bucks here. We'll do 50 bucks here. And then as I kind of was growing learned about like no it's the tithe is you know god's asking for your first fruit your first 10 percent that's his it's kind of a a respect thing more than you know god doesn't need my money it's much more of a respect he wants my heart and that's how he gets it and um so i i think coming to terms and and learning about what that actually meant was a a big um kind of lesson i guess it took me a long time to get there of what it meant versus just giving an, an amount or something like that but a regular tithe or our first fruits. And, um, every time we've kind of been faithful with that, we just continue to keep getting blessed and blessed and blessed. And, um, the Bible talks about, you know, that's the one area where you can test God. And we've done it a few times and, and it's always like more than you could even imagine. And, uh, one specific time it was kind of early on, we were just, just getting into like tithing, a, a, you know, 10%. And I did bills on a Sunday evening and it was like, We have a choice here. If we tithe our 10%, it leaves us about $20, $25 for the week. And we've got a family of, at that time, I think we only had three, but it was still, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. And so we kind of prayed about it and we said, all right, that's, you know, that's the right thing to do. Let's tithe. We're going to take that money. We're going to tithe it. And we said, okay, we'll tithe it. And, you know, I went to bed that night thinking, like, all right. You know, I have a lot of grandparents, so we could hit up a lot of dinners. Um, you know, what could we do to get by? Just, you know, we, we just need to make it to payday on Friday, but it was still a long ways away. And I uh, went to work the next day and was like, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, and then Carlene called and said, you'll never believe what happened. I just, we have, she runs a balloon decorating business. I just got this company that called. We got a balloon job for this weekend. It's uh, a lot more than we would ever think, and they've already paid us. And it was like, oh, well, there you go. So it, that's it always sticks to my head the most memorable of, like, we we kind of tested God. We we did what we were faithful to what he said, and plus more than we could ever imagine, kind of in that, just that week.
0: What a great picture that was of what it looks like to fear God and obey his commandments. The Eatons... We're looking at their checkbook and saying, well, if we give to God like he says to, we're going to have $25 for the week. Not sure how this is going to work and should we do it? Should we not? They chose to to fear God over their situation and what they saw. And what happened was God provided over and above what they needed to get by that week. God wants us to make every day count. He wants us to stack good days that will lead to a good life, and we do that. By making our aim, of making the aim of our life to fear God. I want to invite you to take a next step in fearing God today. If you haven't yet committed your life to Christ, there's no better day than today to do that. To commit your life to Christ, to start fearing God instead of the situation that you find yourself in. Please let us know if you're ready to make that step and commit your life to, to Christ. And check the box on the connection card that says, contact me about becoming a follower of Christ. If you're in that, find yourself still deciding and trying to figure out if if it's time to take that step and you want to talk to somebody, let us know on the connection card. right in the comments and prayer request box and let us know if you'd like to talk to us. We'd love to talk with you about that decision. And if you are a follower of Christ, what is a way that you need to fear God right now? What is something that you know you need to do, but you haven't been sure about doing it yet, but you know it's what God wants you to do? Stand in front of God in awe of who he is. Find strength in his character to fear him and obey his commands. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you so much that you are who you are. And that when you say to fear you, it's not that you want to reign over us in fear, but it's this reverence. And it elicits this response of of living a life that produces good fruit. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to take steps this week. Show us ways that we need to choose to fear you and not the situation that we're facing. Ways that we need to... Take the Bible and apply it to our lives. Help us to do that more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.